See this scratch? Is this thing on? I love rock and roll. Baby, put it in the jewel box. Okay. Put it in the jukebox. Hi. Um, this is by all means necessary. It's a serious podcast. Sometimes. Sometimes there's some seriousness to it. I'm your host, Maya, and listen. The day when you know your homegirl has made it, you know? Tell me. Tell me you know what the day is gonna be. You know that trending song, that mashup of motive and promiscuous online? Yeah. Tell me what's your motive one? Yeah. When I buy the copyright for that tune and make it a jingle to this podcast, that's the day you can truly say your homegirl made it. I just read the intro, I'm like, what were their motives? And then Ariana Grande is there just like, hey, tell me what's your motive? (laughs) To the tune of the promiscuous in the background. I live for this shit. I live for this shit. One day. One day. Listen, a girl can dream. Now that I had my daily meltdown, we're in April, fuckers. It's April. And April is for... Consensual homicides. Yeah, you thought it was gonna be something like assassinations or like apple pie murders. I don't know. You might have thought that. But no. (laughs) Actually, consensual homicides can also be known as assisted suicides. That starts with an A. But no, that's not how I came to this conclusion. These cases I always found interesting when I heard them on like another podcast or another YouTube channel. And then I thought... Like, what the hell motivates people, A, to consent to this, and B, on the other side, to help somebody die? And these are not the cases of, like, doctor deaths or, like, euthanasia or anything like that. That's, like, a completely different genre. And I don't have anything against euthanasia. And also, that might be the reason why my opinion on these particular cases might be considered controversial to a certain degree. So stick with me, because at the, by the end of the episode, you will understand what my views on the topic really are. But this is the month where I really need your help, because there's not that much literature in terms of like psychology, meaning motivations, for this particular type of crime. So I need your speculations, your opinions. I can then include those in the other two episodes of the month, or have like a quick recap in the next episode about the last one and what other people thought when it comes to the motivations. Because it's really just what you consider ethical or morally right or morally wrong. So make sure you follow me on the socials, that Bampod on Instagram and Twitter, or you have my email on hand. You can do it directly through Instagram, but you can also just note down it's podbam at gmail. Dot com. It alludes to goddamn, so it's very easy to remember. So without further babbling, let's dive into the expression of the day and then the case of the day. The expression of the day today isn't as much of an expression as it's just a word with a really interesting meaning, and the word is loophole. I thought it kind of encompasses what this whole month is going to be about, because there's obviously a lot of loopholes when it comes to the law, because this is still pretty new. It hasn't happened in the criminal justice system 100,000 times for there to be specific laws around a certain topic, and there are a lot of loopholes when it comes to perceptions by the public. So what is a loophole? A loophole is something that has been left out of the law or legal document 
that people can use to then skedaddle and avoid obeying that same law. But did you know that the word originally referred to the narrow openings in the walls of old castles? So what were the old castles used back in the day? For battles. So people defending the castle would do what? Well, they would use those loopholes to fire bullets and arrows at their enemies. And why would that be useful? Well, because the people attacking those castles actually can't see. Like, these loopholes are super narrow. They can't even see where this is coming from. So technically, the defenders of it would be pretty safe. But it seems that people on the internet pretty much agreed that development of the word doesn't come from Middle English, loop, which meant a window, but it rather comes from Dutch. And in Dutch, loopen means to run. And Dutch also have another word, which is loopgut, which is the hole through which someone or something can just run away or escape. So when thinking about the synonym for loophole, which is escape a clause, it's kind of easy to see how the meaning of the word has developed. But whichever way you want it to be, whether you want it to be a hole in a castle, which would still mean the defendants of that castle are getting away because they're defending the castle through the things that other people are unaware of, which still means escaping a clause. Or do you see it more as a literal way of running away from somebody or something, in this case the law? Both of them are correct, and both of them are going to make you feel some kind of way once you hear the three cases that I have for you this month. And now, I really need, like, a jingle. And now, I really need, like, a quick jingle, just like you have it in the news. It's like, and now we go to weather, and then you have, like, a random obscure jingle, and then you see the weather woman, you know, who is usually, like, the hottest woman on set telling you about the weather forecast. Well, you're stuck with me, first of all, so deal with that. But second, yeah, I just need a better segues. So that's on the list, right? Better segues. Before we dive into this case, let me just explain to you what consensual homicide is. Consensual homicides are the instances in which one person kills another with the consent of the person that's getting killed. A lot of people have issue with the term, because how can a homicide be consensual? So some people refer to it as assisted suicide. But the way I see it, it's consensual homicide when you're looking at it from the perp's perspective, and it's assisted suicide when you look at it from the victim's perspective, because they're the ones that are considering suicide and hence are looking for somebody else to terminate their life. There are quite famous cases in this category. The most famous ones you will probably know of if you are into this obscure part of the true crime verse is Sharon Lopatka. That case, again, has consensual homicide but is popular because it has the BDSM kind of aspect to it. Or the case of Armin Meeves, that's the German case, Again, consensual homicide with a side of cannibalism. Having said that, on this channel, as you know, I strive to cover lesser-known cases, and these two have been heavily covered on the internet. Compared to the case I have for you today, which was only covered by Joshua Miles on YouTube, that being said, as much as there is a load of information on the controversial famous cases like Meeves or Lopatka, 
when it comes to the smaller ones, you really need to dig. But the story that I'm bringing you today is a really interesting kickstart to see what we are referring to and dealing with on like both moral and ethical grounds when it comes to consensual homicide. In 2015, Chelsea Martinez was killed by Jason Nisbet after she requested he assists her with her suicide. Nisbet will try to use consensual homicide defense in order not to end up in prison by all means necessary. What were their motives? That was the white auntie dance at the wedding, if you didn't know what that was. That's what that was, okay? Deal with it. If this is your first time and you hit the audio of this podcast, there's a version of it on YouTube, hence why I'm explaining <laughs> what you can't see. There's a link in description, always, with the timestamps for you to skip my ramble, but don't do it. Never do it. Stay with me from the beginning to the end. This is what you do. It's a Scorpio ride-or-die situation. You either love me 100% or you don't. That's it. That's how we live. Okay, Chelsea Martinez. Jesus Christ, I went from 0 to 100 for no reason. On August the 1st, 2015, Oscar Martinez, Chelsea's husband, calls the police in Ohio and reports her missing. Chelsea told her husband a couple of days ago she's just gonna go and meet up with some friends, but she lied about both the state and the city that she was going to. So Chelsea's family and her husband were all set out on the wrong trail immediately, but luckily she was to be driving for this trip, so the police issues the Bolo alert, be on the lookout alert. Soon after this was issued, in Minnesota, in Rice County, a sheriff's deputy is just doing his rounds, just driving his car, and he comes across an abandoned vehicle. And this vehicle was kind of just like partially hidden in this park on Cannon Lake, so the officer comes out, goes to inspect the car, and he runs the car plate and finds that this Toyota vehicle is registered in Chelsea's name. So this officer rings up the whole police squad and they go to search the area, but regardless, they didn't manage to find Chelsea. While that is happening, the police in Ohio is talking to her husband, because obviously you have to eliminate them as a suspect, you always suspect the husband first. So they're talking to them, and they're like, okay, give us anything unusual that was happening in Chelsea's life in the past couple of months. Oscar immediately points them in the direction of her computer. So he kind of says, okay, in the past couple of years, actually, she has developed really unhealthy social media addiction. Like, she was on it constantly. This was one of those houses from how Joshua Miles described it on YouTube, where you could see that somebody was struggling with mental health issues. They had three children at the time, and Oscar was working at McDonald's, picking overtime, working constantly so that they can afford to literally survive, because it's three kids and the two of them, and Chelsea was a stay-at-home mom. 
But because of her depression that we'll talk about later, but it stemmed from the mental health issues that Chelsea had in the early days of her life as well, the house was kind of neglected. It was just messy, and the officers immediately noted that. So their next move was to seize her laptop, her computer, any social media pages that she had, and see who Chelsea was communicating with. And Oscar, at this point, must have at least suspected an affair. She was on social media for months. She just abandons the car, abandons the whole family, and just leaves us all. And who knows if we'll ever find her. But the police does. Because after seizing her possessions, the police manages to log into her laptop and log into this social networking platform called The Experience Project. So The Experience Project is free, like most social media platforms, and it's kind of like online communities. I think the version we might have that is slightly similar today might be Discord. But even Discord is is nothing like this. This is like... From the way I read it, kind of more like dark side of the internet. It's more like a very niche community. It's not like, oh, Slack, and then you have Slack channels, or like Discord, and then you stream with like last podcast on the left. No. On Experience Project, members could submit experiences. So these could be their personal, first-person stories about different experiences in life that they have had. And then based on that experience, they would join the community of other people that shared similar experiences. So the police go through the multiple chats that Chelsea was having on this platform, and they get really interested in the most recent ones, because they kind of dated for some time, and also the guy seemed to have really built rapport with Chelsea. And at first, he bonded with Chelsea over the movie Twilight and their interest in vampires, which if there is a single point in this story that needs more elaboration, it is that. Because what do you mean? Do they mean that it's a missed opportunity the same way that I have watched Twilight? Only the first one. I could not waste any more hours to this shithead. But every single time, there was like an inkling. They're actually going to go into like the history of empires. There's that one scene where like Bella is in the library and she's opening this ancient book. And I was like, this is so beautiful. Yes, give it to me. And then they just cut to like the two of them and their non-existent chemistry. So, yeah. To hear my further thoughts on Twilight, please listen to the Twilight Killers episode. I even read a part of it there. It's it's beautiful. It's truly one of the funniest shits, especially the last five minutes of that episode. But just like with anything in this story, we only are left with the crude details. So they don't develop on that. And these conversations soon escalated. So that was like the initial report building. And then it escalated with Jason Nisbet that was going under a handle, Dark Rider, started encouraging Chelsea's suicide thoughts. So Chelsea started sharing with him everything about her life and how she was feeling suicidal, and Jason just started encouraging it. At this point, the police had enough to issue a subpoena to Experience Project to their HQ and just request a copy of all of the chats. They wanted his email, they wanted his address, like anything that they could give them on this guy. 
Because what is going to become a really frustrating point in this story is that from everything that I have read, I think that they have moved their conversations somewhere else. Whether it was like over the phone or like messages that they they couldn't find or somewhere else. Because what pains me with this case is that I really thought we're going to have everything in writing. Like everything is going to be confirmed. We are going to have this consent like black and white on paper. Well, not on paper, but on the internet, which is pretty much the same thing. But that doesn't happen. Because at this point, the police still believed Chelsea just might have taken off with Jason. They didn't know the outcome and the result of these messages. But then the experience project comes back. They literally tell the police Dark Rider's email is j.nisbit at whatever it was at that time. I bet it was like AOL or some shite. Sounds like a legitimate name. So they run Nisbit through database and any first name that starts with a J. And they run it around the area in Minnesota where Chelsea's car was found. In the meantime, they're looking at other interests that such Jay Nisbet had on this platform. And Jay Nisbet belonged to the groups like, I am a person of darkness. I need your blood. I love blood play. I'm fascinated with disturbing imagery. I love the taste of blood. I love gore and horror. You, you get the gist. He loves gore and horror. And it kind of seems like it's more than just Twilight kind of gore and horror. As soon as the police narrowed this down by the location, they found their man, Jason Nisbet. They dispatched the officers to his location. Now is a good time for us to familiarize ourselves with Jason Nisbet. Who was he? Well, he was born in 1976. Not much was known about his upbringing, but we know that he met his wife Gina on a dating website and the two of them married in 2007. The vibe that I get about Jason Isbit is that he is the type of guy that would have a locked up area in his house if he was only a Ted, just Ted smarter, just, just a bit smarter, but he wasn't. So this guy immediately became a caveman. He had his room where he would just play video games. Anytime he would not be at work, he would be like, yeah, fuck you, Gina, I got married. Just look at his mug. Like, how did this guy get married in the first place? It's like Miley Cyrus can rock a mullet. You can't, sir. You just can't. Men with mullets are extra creepy. I mean, his face makes him extra creepy, but men with mullets in 2015. No, not everybody can pull that off, sir. Just no. He becomes a caveman. He just plays video games all day long. Then the two of them move house, and this is where he actually gets like a bigger room, where he can just explore all of his interests on the web. And this room would allow him to be completely alone at times. This is when it kind of escalates from video games, but it doesn't escalate where you're like, okay, so he's playing like League of Legends or something. I don't know what, like an escalation, Minecraft and getting money for it. He's monetizing his interest. No, it escalates to him looking up snuff films. Yeah, that's one hell of an escalation. And then I put here next because this part really pissed me off. Gina sometimes suspected that her husband again, might be either having like a fucking porn addiction or might be chatting with other women on the internet. 
So she would sneak into the room as soon as he would leave for work and she would look online, like, what is he searching? What is his search history? She would see snuff films and just be like, okay. Snuff films, by the way, if you don't know, if you're just googling this manically, are the ones where a person ends up being killed on film, on tape. And she's just like, oh yeah, this is like a healthy interest that my husband has. I'm just saying she could have prevented this. She could have sent him to therapy, called the police then and there, being like, I don't think this is like the healthiest of the interests. I don't know what my first reaction would be if I found out like my husband is looking up snuff films, but I know it wouldn't be just like, oh, I'm gonna ignore this for the rest of my life and we would never have this chat. Like, yeah, this is not gonna lead to you ever wanting to replicate what you see on the screen, yeah. Before telling you how this escalated, let's stop now and just think what we have so far. We have consent for assisted suicide, even though we don't apparently have it in black and white, or clear enough for the police to realize that this is exactly what happened to Chelsea. And we also have a perp who is not trying to prevent it and is also escalating, moving to the dark side of the internet. Now we move on to the day of the crime. So on that day, Jason told his wife he's just gonna go fishing. And Gina knew deep down, shallowly down, like right in her gut, like right in her eyes, you could see that look of a wife who is like, he's having an affair. It's that, it escalated. So, as soon as she says bye-bye to Jason, she goes back to his cave and she's like, who is he having an affair with? She's looking up all of these conversations. The chats she finds and the chats that the police eventually manage to find on the Experience Project confirm that Chelsea and Jason discuss the process in which he is to kill her. And Chelsea thanked him for finally putting her mind at peace. And the next thing we know is that that car was recovered in Minnesota, which was about 11.5 hours drive from Chelsea's home. Where Jason left was not to fish. He arrived at a motel in Fabo on 31st of July 2015. Chelsea was already checked into that same motel, so she just waited for him to knock on the door. According to him, again, remember, we only have one side of the story here, he went in and they just sat inside this room and talked about her suicidal thoughts for hours. Again, we don't have any information on what happened overnight. We just have the information that the next day they woke up and Chelsea made her last Facebook post. It reads, this is my last Facebook status. I'm just not strong enough to continue on in this life and I've left to take cyanide and relieve the pain and suffering. By the time you read this, I will have already taken it. I'm sorry for any pain I'm causing you all. Just know that I love you and this is no one's fault. I was traumatized by the institutions and I know now that I can never truly escape them. My only regret is leaving my kids behind, but they have a support system and more love that I could ever hope to offer them. I'm going to a better place. Don't be sad for me. Goodbye. And this was posted on August the 1st, 2015 at 1.58pm. And I'm mentioning the timestamp because, like with many things in this case, this Facebook status might cause more questions than answers. 
after supposedly making this Facebook post, the two of them left the motel separately and they would meet in the nearby park between 10am and noon. You see why this timing of the post is becoming more and more relevant. According to Jason, then they went to this wooded area that he predetermined in their conversations because of a stream nearby. Jason came prepared with a backpack with a cord and knife inside, and then he tied her up, both her hands and feet, he strangled Chelsea until she was unconscious, and then he slit her throat with a 10-inch knife. After he committed this crime, he buried her in a shallow grave near this water, but in the process, he somehow dropped his glasses. But he decides, okay, this is gonna be probably connected with me anyways, so he just cleans up in that stream and goes home. So truly, when it comes to this Facebook post, this can mean a couple of things. It can mean that the Facebook post was scheduled, Although I didn't even know that you have the option on Facebook to schedule posts, let alone in 2015. Like, Facebook came around in, what, 2008, 9? This was only, like, six years into it. I don't know. I might be wrong on that. It can also mean that Jason had her login details or just her phone on her and that he posted it himself. Or it can mean that he lied about the time of death, which I don't know why he would do that, but it might mean that he lied about something else as well, because it's like one thing leads to the next, and when people lie about irrelevant things, you kind of have to wonder what like important things are they also not telling us about to cover with that lie. So the mallet piece of work here, he goes back home and his wife is there and she's accusing him. She's like blatantly, you're having an affair. Look at the state of you. You're all wet and muddy. Like what? You, you went fishing, yeah? You're just like covered in water and mud. And Gina also notices like a muddy handprint on his shirt, but he just brushes it off and he goes in to shower and Gina is like, it's fine. It's totally fine. Whose handprint is it? It's evidence. Gina... For fuck's sake. As soon as he went to work the next day, Gina, again, just goes to his cave and goes sleuthing. Goes onto his social media, just goes onto his search history and is like, no, I'm gonna find a definite answer because I know he's cheating on me. At first, she found chats with another woman about her wanting to be eaten by somebody. It was very speculated and the police never confirmed whether this woman was also Chelsea and this was just like a separate conversation. And also another thing which Joshua Miles mentions in his video, and that is that it's also unknown whether he actually did consume part of Chelsea. So I'm just going to assume that this might have been a completely separate chat, but basically it's just there to show this guy was escalating from like snuff films to possible cannibalism even. Luckily around this time the police discovers the address and they get to his crib as I told you they would. As you remember he is at work so Gina is just like probably offloads. She's like well I have something to tell you because I have just been in his room and listen this is what I found. I don't know who my husband is anymore. So they immediately ask trying to speed this up and obviously get to Jason so that he doesn't like just leg it and run. They ask her, okay, 
is this woman's name Chelsea Martinez? And Jalen is like, I don't know who that is. I don't think that's the woman from the conversations. But the police goes to his workplace and they arrest Jason. And at first, the questioning started off chilled. He's just like, the police officers are like, oh yeah, we've heard, you know, from your wife that you really adore fishing. Yeah, Are you the type of guy that had that fishing picture when you met her on the dating profile? Yeah, you had a picture with a fish, didn't you? This is how you get bitches, yeah? And Jason is just following through. He's like, yeah, look at this. There's a picture on my phone. Yeah, this is, look at the picture. It's it's me. It's me fishing in this area with like a little stream in the back. And they're like, uh-huh, uh-huh, where is this stream? As soon as the police mentioned his infamous handle of Dark Rider, he just sang like a bird. He told them everything. But he, of course, told them this was completely consensual and has hence agreed that he is going to lead them to Chelsea's body. Where are we at now? Let's have a quick check-in. Something that needs to be mentioned, and that is that even if Chelsea consented to everything in black and white, this is exactly how I want to die. I want to be tied in the forest exactly here, get me unconscious, and then slit my throat. She could have still withdrawn consent at any time. It's the way we think about rape. Like, Yes, somebody might consent to go home with you, but then once they are at home with you, they can still say no. And that particular part will always be the issue when it comes to cases like this. We also don't have the chats to confirm that the victim requested exactly everything that happened to her. And another bullet point that I noted down is that both of them seemed vulnerable, but in different ways to make these decisions. Because he clearly had a kink, was getting off on snuff films, wanted to experiment with that, wanted to experiment with cannibalism. And she clearly had some mental health issues and shouldn't have been left alone to bring her own decisions either. Even during the trial that started in 2016, Jason showed no remorse and he simply believed he did nothing wrong. He just did what was asked of him. And Gina stands behind her husband. She still, to this day, stands behind her husband. Which just pisses me off inside on another level. First of all, what do you see in the guy? It's not like, oh my god, he's gorgeous from the outside. I'm gonna forgive him for his snuff films and like all of the weird shit that he's looking up online. It's like, it's him. It's this guy. Mate, it's not the George Clooney. Like, chill. Now, Amal, I'm not saying forgive George Clooney if he ever get discovered to be into snuff films, okay? Yeah, Amal, you definitely listen to this podcast. You got me, you got me, girl. Because assisted suicide was illegal in Minnesota, Jason, who was 42 years at the time, was sentenced to 42 years in prison as part of his plea deal. And this deal included the maximum of 40 years for second degree, meaning they counted this as non-premeditated murder, and then he got extra two years because he was found guilty of the assault with a weapon. Before going into the confundling story of the motives, let's just go into a bit of a background on Chelsea to understand now where she was coming from. Chelsea was born in 1989 in Ohio, and she actually started seeing a psychiatrist since she was young. So by the age of around 10 or 11, she was seeing psychiatrists for her volatile mood swings. 
And this psychiatrist told her parents that she had bipolar disorder. But because it was 90s, it wasn't as wide known how to treat it back then. So they start treatment for it, but it was mostly just giving her different sets of medications, testing those out, swapping them, changing them, doing it all over again. And while this is happening, Chelsea went to West High School in Columbus. This is where she met her husband, Oscar Martinez. And in 2007, she gave birth to their first son when she was only 16. So the two of them quickly married in 2009. And then they had another son and a daughter. Outside of what the family was seeing, Chelsea would still have her manic episodes and would still lash out in public. And she stopped taking meds completely ever since she was a teenager and would get defensive if Oscar was to mention like, okay, hey, how about you go back onto the meds? And it was said that this was because she was enjoying the highs that she was getting off on these manias through her bipolar disorder. Oscar was, again, pretty supportive of all of this, and Chelsea started having a habit and having a coping mechanism, you could say, for how she would deal with these manic episodes, and that's that she would just have, like, a sudden road trip. She would drive out, and she would just be absent, not be at home, just rest and have some time for herself for a couple of days. But Oscar would say she would always keep in touch, at least by phone, and she would always be back within a week. And he wasn't worried about any of these trips, because she would always come back from them calmer. A lot calmer, it seemed to be her coping mechanism, and it really seemed to soothe her bipolar disorder. So he actually thought, okay, she might not even need to take these meds, like it might not be even such a problem after all. At this point, they had a way to deal with this. Oscar got a new job, Chelsea began to study nursing, and she soon graduated with highest honors. And this is the time when they had a second child. But soon after that, they started facing some financial struggles. Oscar lost his high-paying job. He was like in a managerial role. And they also discovered that Chelsea was pregnant again, so pregnant with a third child. And this is when Oscar started taking those odd shifts, like started working for McDonald's and just taking overtime. But of course, like McDonald's doesn't pay much like compared to, you know, the managerial job position that he had before. This just became about survival. And on the other end, we have Chelsea, who now had nobody else to turn. Her husband was away the whole day, so she turned to social media. And at first, it was just Facebook. It was just her posting what medications psychiatrists gave her and, like, what side effects people can expect with those medications. It became a form of a personal diary. But then, as she would get hooked more and more, everything else in the house got neglected, like the cleanliness of the house and the hygiene. That's when she discovered the experience projects, and she really saw it as the escape from the reality of her life, but also as a place where she could vent about her struggles, where she could bond with people about the exact same issues that she was having. And that was the point of no return. This case really has no further information. And you know what that means? We came to the discussion part where we discuss the motives of it. So 
I obviously split it into what could have motivated him and what could have motivated her, because we kind of need to discuss both sides of the coin here. One thing that I want to mention before we discuss motives, and that is that in the UK, assisting a suicide is illegal, and in the US, it's illegal in most of the states. Some have it legalized and some require a court ruling, so a court to sign off on it before you can do anything. So further on this later, but one of them, most probably the perp as well, should have looked up whether or not it was legal in their state in the first place to commit something like this before going for it. Which brings me to his side of the story and his motives, and that is if he is into this dark gore side of the internet, of course he is going to go through with it, because that is what he is striving to do, because he wants to get off and get that high of this part of the life that he is hiding from everybody, that he is hiding from his wife, and he wants to be in control of somebody completely. There's this article that I found saying that most of any sadomasochistic encounters are motivated by the egoistical feelings from that person. So let's say the case of Paolo Maccherini that I covered two weeks ago. If you're a famous surgeon, yes, you might be driven by the compassion, by the oath, by everything that you have chosen that career for, but you might also have the alternative motives, and that is the devil propelled your career, that that will do well for your ego, and then you might become famous for it. And this whole article that I found, and is the only one that kind of at least treats, I think it was somebody's dissertation, but it at least treats like motivations behind these kind of things. Literally, there's nothing like even on scholarly, nothing remotely like plausible discussing this in depth. And this article mentions the balance of evils, and that is that certain crimes of this sort might be justified if that perpetrator took into account the dignity of those victims. So if they have chosen to do least amount of harm when assisting suicide, for example. Of course, in this instance, I don't really think that was the case, because I just refuse to believe that that is the way she chose to die. It just... Why? Why would it be so violent? It just seems like that's something he has seen and has then portrayed his king on this real-life woman that he could manipulate on the internet and bring her to this point that she just said yes to anything. Further looking from his perspective, what my thoughts were when reading this case is, should we prevent it at all costs? And I would say yes, but that you need to think, if he reported this to the police, if he told Gina, yeah, this is what I'm looking, if he wasn't just denying, 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 then he would have been stopped, and he clearly wanted to enact and to act on his urges. But it also means that he knew he was doing something wrong, because any normal person, well, first of all, wouldn't be in fucking snuff films, but let's say any normal person on Experience Project, if somebody comes to you with this kind of story, like, hey, I want you to help me to, like, end my own life, the first thought would be, okay, calling the police, going, like, I don't know, suicide prevention hotline, trying to help you out, rather than, okay, cool, I'm gonna do it for you. Then another thing that I already mentioned, and that is consent and 
regardless of how many times she consented online, she could have said anything when they met in person and we would just not know about it because it's in his best interest not to share any of it. Going back to this person's dissertation, they said that Yes, consent should count as partial defense. Like, of course, perpetrator is going to use that. That's the whole point. They're going to try to get out of serving any time by using it. But the other conclusion is that consent alone doesn't suffice to justify bodily harm. For it to qualify as the full defense, the perp needs to establish that he did not wrongfully interfere with the victim's well-being. Again, going back that he didn't just completely disregard what the victims wanted or their dignity. When it comes to the loopholes and what requires further research and clarification in the court of law, there's a couple of things this article outlines. And that's analysis of the role of consent in application to bodily harm as opposed to other offenses. Again, even when it comes to rape, there can be so many different situations. And again, the same thing when it comes to consent applies, and that's that somebody could just withdraw it at any time. Second point is to identify the harm that may and should be criminalized despite the victim's valid consent. Third point is discussion of the victim's consent and how it affects the wrongfulness of the perpetrator's act. And the last point is the outline of the conditions necessary for the perpetrator's acquittal when it comes to these cases. Like, in what circumstances... Can we actually say, no, they're going to walk free? Because remember the other two popular cases that I had mentioned at the beginning of the episode, Lopatka and Meeves? Both of those people were still charged. And also we then have, okay, so what happens in the states where consensual homicide is legal? What is necessary for the perpetrator's acquittal in those particular states? Or do they just walk free just if they have somebody's consent? Here we also need to go into the account of the victim's consent in particular. And why? Well, because if it was the victim's choice to sacrifice their lives, they have some responsibility for the harm done to them. Unfortunately, it's just what happens. If they have said it multiple times, if they have agreed to certain things, if they have agreed to the actual act, some responsibility unfortunately falls onto that person as well. And that in itself then just means by doing a simple math that the perp has done a bit less harm and deserves less punishment. Hence why this guy, as much as you will probably disagree with his sentence, did manage to get that deal, and that is because of that part where she at least partially consented. But also when thinking about that, on the other side we have the moral obligation. So that perpetrator or defendant in the court of law would then need to justify how this was done out of nobility. Like there would have to be some ethical reasoning of why they're actually helping this poor victim. And again, we don't know the facts of the case in depth to that degree to just say that this was the reason why his sentence was reduced and he wasn't given life in prison in this case. But that's another thing where it's not really set in stone that that needs to happen and it should. 
A few more points for discussion if you'd like here and I'd like to know your thoughts on it. This is whether or not this harmful but consensual act brought more harm than good. So in this particular case, why did he, you know, tie her up? Why did he have to slash her throat? Why was there like an extra thing? I mean, he could have just like, I don't know, peacefully strangled her. Why did she have to be tied up if it was consensual in the first place? It could have been done in a more peaceful, less harmful, and more believable way. He didn't have to be bloody. He didn't have to go to a stream to clean himself up. For example, Meave's case is the proof of this second point, and that is whether the harmful but consensual act significantly set back the victim's interests and dignity. So Meave's, as I told you, cannibalized and ate his victim. And you're like, okay, you can't just like freestyle out of this consensual thing. And another thing that isn't mentioned here, but I would like to mention it and probably have during the episode, is should a person assisting, or just killing in this case, be aware of the law and be charged accordingly? And I say yes, like he should have expected to get charged for this. But the vibe I'm getting is that he would have just gone home, gone back into his cave room and just probably escalated to something else. Possibly agreeing with somebody to be eaten the next time and exploiting another vulnerable victim. But regardless, whatever you think about this type of crime, you will be charged according to the law. So, like, you kind of need to know the law if you are even going into this dark pathways on the internet, which, trust me, I would not suggest. You will always end up in prison. And also, what the fuck, get therapy. One last point to discuss when it comes to Nisbet is the intent. Under a broader umbrella, I've already mentioned this, you know. Would he have gone home and just continued searching for another victim, searching for something even more bizarre, going into snuff films, maybe recreating one one day? And depending on their intent, some murderers are just more culpable than the others. Here I think when it comes to intent, he was just ultimately yearning for some authority, for some control. And as I mentioned before, I don't think he was in the right state of mind to make this decision rationally because I don't think it would be a rational decision in any way once he already committed to this side of the internet for months on end. There was just no coming back for him to rationalize like you and me, like a normal human being. Because if there was, he would have already called somebody called her husband, the police, suicide prevention, and would have tried to help Chelsea out. Now, on to her side of the story. And this is where, in my research, the main reason that people would go for this option, for the assisted suicide, was that they really wanted to have control over the circumstances of their death. And I think what we really need to think about here, because you're going to be like, oh, well, okay, so you were just saying a minute ago how he should have prevented this, but now you're kind of supporting and saying, well, okay, she brought her own decision. Just think for a second, what is the alternative here? Like, nobody spotted it. That's what I'm saying. Yes, somebody should have spotted it. Gina should have spotted it. Jason. Like... Somebody should have alerted her husband. I don't know. Like, her husband should have gotten her help. She could have gotten herself help. But we are in the situation where she decided, this is how I'm going to die. There was no turning back. So the alternative is herself, I don't know, overdosing in front of her children, dying in front of the home for somebody 
in her close proximity, like her children and her husband, to find her there. So I'm just always thinking, okay, what is the alternative here? Because we don't have the somebody is going to prevent this situation. We have the somebody decided to do this, has committed for months to arrange this to happen, and there was no turning back. So maybe she just didn't want to die alone. And those are some of the comments that I have seen under Joshua Marl's video. And that is exactly that, that people, when they are this vulnerable, they are easy to exploit. But also, when they are at that point, they just don't want to die by themselves. Also, this article slash dissertation pointed this out so well, so let me read out these couple of lines. Human dignity and ability to pursue one's life plans are important values on personal as well as societal levels. However, if the reason for criminalizing consensual harm stemmed only from the desire to promote these values, we would continue to prosecute a person who has attempted to commit a suicide or severely tortured himself. And because we don't punish the self-destructive acts, but we punish those affected by another person, that means that there is the moral difference that comes with that other person. Which again brings us in that circle of hell, brings us back to consent. Could have the person consented it? Does the fact that they consented mean that you should still do it? Whether or not you should consider, does the good outweigh the harm? Why don't you report something when somebody comes to you with a self-destructive thoughts? Rather, you just continue to proceed. This case actually hurt my brain to the point that I put in the next slide my final words. When have I ever put, like, my final words? Like, is this an essay? It's, like, in conclusion. The law needs to change and have no loopholes because... If this was clear-cut, like, okay, you murder, you get life kind of like what law is in most places, then you would see people are like, oh no, I'm not doing this. Like, I'm not even going to be encouraged. You know, if looking up snuff films was a chargeable offense and like you can get X amount of years in prison and that's like a common knowledge, then this guy probably would have still done it. But would he have escalated to this degree? Maybe then even Gina would be like, well, this is actually an offense, so let's report it to somebody. And unfortunately, with this particular branch of crime, or the law that is covering this particular branch of crime, rather, is the same with rape. Like, the laws around rape, for example, are obscure for years. And again, how do you as a perpetrator say, no, I have had consent all the way through? Because how do you prove that? Will we in the future need everything on camera? Like, literally all the way up until, in the cases of consensual sex, all the way up until you actually are about to do it. Or in the case of consensual homicide, all the way up until it would have led to, like, a snuff film situation. For somebody to actually confirm in court, no, this was fully consented to. I know that this is crazy, but, like, how else do we prove this full consent from, like, point A to point B. How do we prove that some responsibility actually falls on the victim? Or rather, because some responsibility does still fall on the victim because of the initial consent, how do we prove the full extent of it to the point that one day a person like this might actually be acquitted because they just still think or believe that they have done nothing wrong but have rather helped somebody and assisted them in their suicide? 
But that is the case of Chelsea Martinez in the hands of the mullet guy. Let me know what you think about it. You can always find me on the socials. Please share your opinions. I'd love to know them. Was something else going through your head that I have missed out on here? Like something super obvious or a bit less obvious? I can be found on that BAM pod on Twitter or Instagram. Or you can, you know, do the snail mail to podbam at gmail.com. There's also a case submissions form in the description. If you're like, no, Maya, this is the case of consensual homicide. You need to follow through one. Like, because, you know, I have still two of them to go. So you can you can choose the next one. You can go for the next one. Because as you could see, there's not that much information on the less infamous ones. So, you know, as much as I don't want to cover the ones that have been covered, like, by everybody, I'm also like, hmm, well... If the next one on the list doesn't have enough information, I might just need to cave in. But wow, my brain is fried. I don't know about yours, but like this had about like a hundred loopholes and the laws just need to like work fast to meet these progressive ways of thinking. Again, this doesn't happen as often, okay? It doesn't happen as often as like regular shit, but it doesn't make it any less of a mindfuck, does it? So look at the time. You're going into your next Zoom call. How about you start this conversation with your colleagues, huh? <laughs> Be like, hey, while we're on the topic of consent, while we're on the topic of 97% of the men, while we're on the Sarah Everts case, while we're talking about not all men, well, guess what? What do you think about this particular topic? How do we prove that consent was given 100% of the time? And then, in doing that, you keep spotting those colleagues that are, like, very antsy about the topic, and they're like, uh, actually, well, if she gives consent at the very beginning of it, she's basically asking for it. And you're like, okay, cool, 97% of the men, make sure I have this guy on my list. I have him on the list, just in case I hear him speaking to a woman. I'm gonna go to that woman and tell her... Just so you know, this is one of those misogynist pigs that you have heard about on TikTok. Yeah, this is what he said. So just please don't consent to anything, anything when it comes to this guy. Just go save yourselves and we're going to hush him away. Like, hey, Connor, you good? Get the fuck up. Wow, that was an intense roleplay. Surprisingly vivid for somebody that hasn't gone through this situation yet. But hey, I'm getting myself prepped for the future. I will save you girls. I will save you from the predators. Okay, stop promising the world. Stop promising the world. You can't save people from 97% of the men. Who the fuck are you? Are you a black widow? Are you Scarlett Johansson? This went sideways. I am so sorry. I'm going to let you have your rest of your day and actually enjoy your Monday. And in doing so, and maybe not like half of the things that I have said in the past five minutes, uh, you also keep making this world a better place. One motive at a time. Bye, fuckers. Where was this plot going? Did you invent your whole Marvel universe for a split second there? Oh god, what is going on? Why is your brain... It's like, oh, my brain is fine. Let's invent the whole universe. Yeah, okay, JK Rowling. Fuck's sake, what's next? Is it gonna be magic? Somebody gonna fucking kill 97% of the universe by magic? Not universe. 97% of the men. Boy, if the woman were left for a single day, single day, just somebody poisoned 97% of the men for a single day, 
whoa, Tesco's is going to be the new girl's bathroom. Imagine the conversations, the banter. I'm going to go and commit to that fantasy right now. Outro music, cue it, do it.